Now go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll give you a minute to turn over there and I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Uh, so we are on the last chapter here this morning of 2 Corinthians and uh, it's been a very good study and uh, I pray the Lord has been blessing it to you as well. It's always uh, very important to hit upon these epistles that we have before us. So hear ye then the word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or you do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be so severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. The grass withers, a flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and ever. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for thy holy word. We pray, grant us understanding, open our eyes and our ears, Lord, though you might hear and walk in accordance with your word and will. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've all likely have heard of times when people who have, tend to be on the rebellious side. Usually these are children, you know, or young adults. And, and sometimes even adults can get ornery, right? I had, to, I had to look that up, by the way, on ornery, about spelling that. Doesn't, you don't spell it the way it looks, okay? But anyway, uh, but when it comes to dealing with your brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be kindly towards one another and not ornery. And by the way, if you looked up ornery, that means cantankerous. You have to look that one up too. Disagreeable and stubborn, all right? So it can mean any one of those things or all together. Occasionally, any one of us, uh, we may wake up in the morning and, uh, or have a day when we are feeling cranky or grouchy or grumpy, at least until we get our coffee, right? And so that's how, uh, so you get your coffee. And so we hear people not wanting to people today. That's kind of a modern phrase as well. I hear that. I'm not in the mood to people today. Until I have my coffee. Okay, I hear a lot of that. Hopefully, we all re react in an ornery or ornery way uh, towards our brothers in Christ. But here in our text this morning, as we come to the close, close to the end of our exposition of uh, 2 Corinthians, pray for me, because I have uh, just verses through uh, 11 through 14 for next time. Um, but anyway, keep me in prayer for that always, okay? We're here, we come near the end, and we see Paul addressing. Uh, the rebellious and ornery minority in Corinth, okay, the church at Corinth. Some of them were supporting the false apostles, okay, and they were open rebellion against Paul, the apostle. Now, this kind of divisiveness, uh, such sinful hearts, they were denying the truth of God. Paul is a legitimate 
and called apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. There have been many times in history where you find people rebelling against godly leadership. This is a good example here with Paul. Now in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, we see the rebellion of Korah. Everybody remembers that, the rebellion of Korah, though there were others involved with that. Um, And so he had many others who denied the authority of Moses. They questioned his leadership, and so they sought to take over the priesthood. And they accused Moses of exalting himself. And so Moses was crushed. He was hurt, and he fell on his face in humility. And he told them, Korah and the others, he said, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. As one commentator said, this was high noon in Sinai, okay? So high noon in Sinai, and we all know what that means. So in the morning, God told Moses and Aaron and the congregation, he told them, pull away from the rebels. In other words, get away from them and divide yourself and go over there, all right? Uh, And so they did. And what happens next? Essentially, the ground opens up and the swallows, Korah, and all of their households and all the rebels all together, everything, their families are or animals, whatever they have with them. And so Moses here was vindicated by God before all the people and also put a healthy fear of the Lord in them too. Um, well, Paul must address here these cantankerous Corinthians. And, and I say that because you always hear about how great First Corinthians is and how wonderful and spiritual they are. Like, yeah, they were super divided all the time, right? Um, but these cantankerous ones who were leading rebellion in the church against Paul, all right? And so we see that he issues some very real warnings to this church here, especially the church at Corinth. And so we will consider our subject this morning under these headings. We see the the warnings of coming discipline, really, I would say judgment. It was coming discipline here. And secondly, warnings against failing the test. And I do pray we all learn the lessons and and we learn to heed the warnings that are issued here in our text and, and try to avoid uh, the scandal and all that's taking place among the Corinthian church. And, and we do see so much in our day and age as well. And so let's go ahead then and look at verses 1 through 4. Here we see the warnings of coming discipline. All right, coming discipline. So in these four verses, Paul seems to be directly addressing the rebellious ones among the church. He's directly addressing them, all right? And he starts off by saying this. This is the third time I am coming to you. Because we already know about the other two, right? So, but he has already been there twice before, but now due to this rebellion and their attitude toward them, he feels that another visit may be necessary to sort things out and to make some needed corrections there in the church of Corinth. So whatever he must do, it will be from actual witnesses and not mere accusations. According to Deuteronomy 19.15, and Paul reminds them of that, that's where this comes from, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, Paul's going to use these witnesses in a little bit different way here, Okay, but we'll see these. We also see this taught by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 18. So Paul refers to Deuteronomy 19 and Christ refers to this in Matthew 18 when someone sins against you. First of all, you are to do this. The first step in Matthew 18, you are to talk to the person yourself. Go to them and try to work things out together with them. If he refuses to listen to you, second step. You take one or the two or other people with you, two or three with you, whatever it is, but take one or two with you to fulfill the need for proper witnesses. If there are no witnesses, 
No problem to report, essentially. And then third, if all else has failed, then you take it to the church, meaning at this point, you go tell the elders of the church about the problem with the testimonies of the two or three witnesses to offer. So if the offender then still refuses to repent, then church discipline is enacted with ultimate purpose, of course, being this, to bring them to repentance, to establish reconciliation, and for the restoration of the offender. And by the way, if someone comes direct, this is my practice forever, okay? Because I always try to stress Matthew 18. If someone comes directly to me with a complaint, and this has not happened, all right? <laughs> okay, a long, long time. If someone comes directly to me with a complaint against a brother or sister, I always ask them this first question. Have you gone to the person directly and spoken to them yourself? If not, step one, you need to do that before anything else. Go and try to work it out with them personally. Okay, so you must follow the biblical steps before ever bringing a charge before a brother or sister or an elder or in the congregation. And you must always do that. The purpose is repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. It is not destruction, it is not public humiliation, nor is it to drive the offender away. All right, we're not trying to do that. And so the goal of all church discipline is ultimately restoration in the body of Christ, all right, restoration, okay, and forgiveness and all this. Um, always, that is the case. And so Paul reminds these Corinthians of this here in verse 2. He said, I warned those who sinned before, that's one, and all the others, and I warned them, that's the second one, now while absent as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, which will be the third one, and I will not spare them. All right. So Paul has already warned them that he is going to come a third time. But with this third coming, he will institute church discipline on the offenders. In this case, Paul is pointing to his previous visits to them already. All right. One, one particular preacher said this, his first visit is the first testimony, the first witness against the offenders. The second visit was the painful visit the second witness against them, okay, the offenders here. Now on his arrival, the coming third time will be his third witness. So Paul has, this will be the three witnesses that Paul is going to present to them. And if they don't want to be disciplined, then now is the time, he says, now is the time to repent and reconcile. Because if I show up and I have to do this and find out that there's no been any repentance or anything, then, of course, the discipline will fall. He said... Um, here I, he said, I warned those who sinned before. That's the first warning again. As I did when present on my second visit, warning number two, and then warning number three, I warned them now while absent. So three visits, three warnings. Okay, the testimony is already against them, and so they must repent or face discipline. Now notice that he said that if I come again, I will not spare them. Now, what on earth does that mean? That sounds horrible, sounds unloving. That doesn't sound very Christian, right? <laughs> he said, I will not spare them. So, uh, well, is it? Um, is he being really horrible? No, he's not. It means that if they refuse to repent, they will eventually be excommunicated, put out of the body, all right? Uh, they'll be removed from the, we'll say, today we say they're being removed from the church role, and they'll be considered as unbelievers. Why is that? Because that's what Christ commanded in Matthew 18, verse 17. You can look that up. But we are to treat them 
not as a brother, that's after they've been put out for the ultimate time for repentance, delivering him over to Satan, right? As Paul has said elsewhere. Um, the ultimate leads to bring them to repentance and, of course, reconciliation and restoration. And so we would say they'd be removed from the church role and considered to be unbelievers. Why? Like I said, we are to treat them not as a brother, but treat them just as any unbeliever. Okay, does that mean that they are not free to attend the church? Sure they are. They can attend, um, but we are not shunning them. Okay, that is something different. That is not what we do. Uh, they, t- they practice shunning in some of these uh, denominations. But this is not shunning. It's not pretending that they are dead. I've heard that. That's horrible. You're not to do that. You don't shut them out of your lives. Uh, you're not to treat them as less than human. You don't have to treat them as the infidel and you're going to hell. I mean, uh, it's, uh, I didn't realize that rhymes. But anyway, uh, but yeah, we're not to treat people like that. Um, but we are to pray for them. It simply means we are to treat them as any other non-Christian that you encounter. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear uh, the call to repent. And they need to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while they they accuse Paul of being weak, he reminds them, he said, well, you accuse me of being weak? Christ came in weakness too. Look at verse 3 and 4. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Both the cross and the resurrection show the power of God. Both of these things, the weakness of Christ and, of course, the resurrection, we see the power of Christ that is there as well. Christ came in weakness. Why? Because he was going to pay the debt that we could never pay. He was going to atone for our sins. But Jesus did so. He came in weakness like one of us. He did so as the God-man, the one who is fully and powerfully God and fully in weakness man. Yet both display the power of God and Christ. So we needed both the suffering of Christ and his weakness and the resurrection of Christ in his glory and power. It was all by the power of God to save sinners just like us. And we must always remember what Christ has done in his weakness and in his strength, and his power, and his glory. So here in these verses, Paul issues the warning. He says, I am coming to you, but discipline is coming too, and I will not spare the rebels. Yeah, I will not spare them. So what do we do? What if we are guilty of having honorary attitudes or having a rebellious spirit? Is there hope? Yes. What is Paul calling to do in the last two visits? Repent while it's still today. And that's what he calls us to do. Leading us to our second uh, and final heading. There's only two headings this morning. The second one is this from verses 5 through 10. Here we see the warnings against failing the test. All right. Here in these verses, Paul seems to address those who have truly believed here in the church of Corinth, those who did repent from their sin. And so Paul will return to this church, but when he does, he comes as we read to one, which is a fragrance of death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Not here in 2 Corinthians, but elsewhere. One scholar said this, to ignore the warnings of Paul, because Paul is an apostle of Christ, is to embrace death. So if you ignore the warnings that Paul has issued, is to embrace death. And so he commands them in verse 5, 
He says to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. If you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And Christ by the Holy Spirit dwells within you. He said, unless indeed you fail the test. So the apostles, the false apostles, judged Paul and they concluded that Paul had failed the test. They said things such as, he is not a gifted speaker, he's not a gifted preacher, he's weak in appearance, we know what he looked like, kind of, sort of, and in his presentation, okay, he had a weak presentation. His heritage, they said, was lacking all lies. He doesn't charge the Corinthians for his preaching, they did a lot. Uh, this, they said, we conclude. Uh, they Basically, these false apostles, Paul, according to them, fails their spiritual test. And he is not an apostle. And so today, where would they be trembling in hell today? Unless they repented, right? But Paul has already proven his credentials over and over again. And so they know the power of God demonstrated through Paul by the word and by the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. But the false apostles have failed. And they failed the test. They don't have faith in Christ. They failed the church. They failed God. And they were false teachers, you know. So that's what they do. All right, they were ungodly, uh, these false teachers. And so Paul tells these Corinthian believers, he says, to examine yourselves. They are now to test their own spirituality. He said, you've looked at mine, you've tested mine, let's look at yours. So look briefly at your own hearts and gaze and look upon Christ, because he is our true example. The Scottish preacher said this, for every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. Okay, are you truly a Christian? Look at your own hearts. Are you trusting in Christ alone and not yourselves, not the church attendance, not your performance, not whatever it might be, but don't ponder how wicked you are. Okay, remember the one time or whatever, a few times at yourself, ten times at Christ? All right, don't ponder about how wicked you are. Ponder the great grace of God in Christ. Ponder that. And we see the mercies of God in Christ. Have you truly been converted? Are you saved? Do you know the Lord? Do you have faith in Christ or not? Because if you are believing in Christ, he says, then rejoice because Christ certainly lives within you. The fact that you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ means you have faith. So rejoice as the saints of God because Christ is there. Never to leave, never to forsake, and never forget that. Who knows if you are truly in Christ or not? I don't. The people next to you don't. Your wife, your husband doesn't know that. But you know yourself. If you believe in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ alone, yourselves, you know. So it basically here, don't fail the test. If you fail, then you're not a believer. Thus, if you're not a believer and you're not in Christ, you're not even saved. Look at verse 6. He said, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Here he includes himself there for them. Now Hugh said this, he knows that if the Corinthians discern what Christ, that, that Christ is in them, uh, then they must admit that Christ is in him as well, in Paul, because he is the one who introduced them to Christ. He is the one who brought the gospel to them, and thus they must embrace Paul's true apostleship. And so if they themselves have passed the test, they must recognize he also has passed the test. Look at verse 7. But, he says, we pray to God 
that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed because the false apostles accused them of failing the test. Paul desires then that they do no wrong. He wants them to do the right thing day by day, of course, to do that which is pleasing in the sight of God and Christ. Even if some have accused them of failing the test, you do the right thing, he says. The good thing, the beautiful thing. Remember, that's what that word means. It means the good thing, beautiful thing, the right thing. Paul has indeed passed the test, and he loves these Christians he loves his church at Corinth, and he wants to see them grow in their faith. And so he says, I don't want to have to come and do this. I'd rather come and let it be a time of rejoicing and celebration, okay? But what is the need here then? Prayer, of course. Prayer for what? Look at verse 8 and 9. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we were glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. So Paul is a true apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he is to maintain the truth of Christ and his word. He cannot go against the truth. Why? Because he desires their full restoration in the faith. Even his worst critics among them, he prays that they may be fully restored in a true walk of faith in Christ. That's what he desires. That's what he prays for, even for them, even the, those who have been so rebellious in Corinth. And, and if you read again through the first, second Corinthians, they surely were. But Paul prays for his critics that they will do no wrong and do only that which is right and good and beautiful. Remember, Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And by the way, uh, if you're praying for those who persecute you, it's going to be very hard to hate them, right? Yeah, so love your enemies. And your enemies don't wish you well, right? Pray for those who persecute you, uh, so that you may be sons of your Father, sons and daughters, children of God in Christ, okay? Um, but loving your enemies is hard. That's why it's commanded, all right? Uh, don't cut them off. I hear it all the time. Do not cut them off. Don't try to kick them out of your life. Okay, but you're to love them anyway. Love them. Yes, they may be an unbeliever. Pray for them and love them to Christ. Pray for them and for their conversion. Pray for them, right? Don't try to simply, I don't need your negative input. If Christ did that to, if Jesus did that, if he said, you know what? Everybody is so negative, I'm going to cut them all out of my life. That would be bad. And we are to follow in the steps of Christ. Look at verse 10. Paul says this, For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So Paul wants to restore fellowship together when he comes. He, his heart's desire is to build them up, to see them edified, not to be torn down. He doesn't want to have to discipline them. But he will if he has to. So the warnings are there before the Corinthians. The warnings are there for the churches of America, for the churches uh, here in Goldsboro and in Rosewood. The warnings are all there. Repent while we can, while it is still today. Examine ourselves. Make sure that we are in Christ. Or if we are not, we must repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you passed the test? The test is faith in Christ. Have you passed the test? Are you ready now for true communion yourselves this morning? Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your holy word. And Father, we do thank you, Lord, for here with Paul the Apostle and all that he's gone through with the, the super apostles that were there, the false teachers in Corinth. And Lord, we do pray that even as he called them to faith and repentance, now, Lord, that we would not fail to do so ourselves, Lord, but we would always come humbly before you in repentance and faith, walking in the footsteps of Christ all the days of our lives. And Father, forgive us when we've been weak. Lord, grant us strength by your Spirit. Enable us, O Lord, to love the unlovely, Lord, and sometimes that may be ourselves, Lord. But help us to love one another, to love the lost that are around us, O Lord, to reach out to the rebels, because we were once those rebels as well. And Father, we do thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.